podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes. And this afternoon, on the eve of a massive game for Celtic and Rome, I am joined by Liam Carrigan. Liam, welcome back to the show. You've had a wee break. You were off last week. I, I understand that you were um, celebrating and, uh, you know, you were up to all sorts that didn't involve the Axon Bulletin. So it's great to have you back. <laughs> yeah, um, I was. Uh, thanks for uh, uh, those that, that in the know who sent me birthday wishes and... Um, Funnily enough, my, my good lady and I got married the day after my birthday. I'm sure she did it just to save money on the Christmas present on the birthday yeah. presents. So uh, anyway, so it was anniversary and birthday last week. So we went down to Tokyo for a nice wee weekend and saw some art. Went to Tokyo Tower. Just sad story though. The the the, the Japan the Japan Football Museum is shut down. Is that right? Aye, it's is that uh, a new thing. Well, is it, it just recently didn't happened. Um, I mean, we were going to go to it, and I was mm-hmm. just checking the opening times. It says no, it, it shut in February. <laughs> so um, it's they've said they're going to relocate it and reopen at a later date. But mm. uh, good luck finding anywhere in Tokyo at a decent price that's big enough to house that museum. <laughs> yeah, that that's unfortunate because you know we've spoken quite a bit about how um, you know it's still relatively new as football or soccer. What do they call it? Soccer, football. In Japan? Funnily enough, it's a weird thing because it's the, the if you see the national team, it's JFA, Japan Football Association. But mm-hmm. the Japanese word is saka, meaning like soccer, but said with a Japanese accent. So right. uh, it's a strange one. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, you've spoken about the rise uh, of the game over there. Um, and I know this isn't an indication of it uh, hitting a brick wall or anything, but it's quite sad to see. And tonight... Uh, Celtic are up against Lazio in the Champions League. It's uh, match day five. And it's make or break, Liam. We're going to be talking all the way through the team, the change of shape that perhaps will happen, partly forced, partly due to the, the fixture itself. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you take away that 6 nothing drubbing against Atletico Madrid, you know, it wasn't a great campaign, but, you know, you weren't as concerned as you are now after uh, the golfing class that we saw over in Spain. Well, the, the thing is, Atletico Madrid on a on a good day could do that to anybody, and I mean mm-hmm. anybody. Um, you know, a combination of us being very much under underperforming on the night, and also them hitting their peak. Um, you know, the, I mean, we got a draw with them a week previously, so clearly, when things go our way, we can compete with them. But yeah. that night, we were just blown away. Um, it's uh, it's unfortunate, um, but it's the way of life in the Champions League, unfortunately. And without going into too much of a rant about the AGM last week, too many people in positions of power at the club seem to be content with that. So there are there are people in power, uh, Liam, who have a completely different attitude to those Celtic fans, me included, who have aspirations to improve um, every kind of level of the club, be that from the you know, the marketing of, of the club over in Japan that you and I have discussed, to the stadium outside. Obviously, they've done a lot of work to the Celtic Way in recent years. There's a lot more that can be done all around the stadium. 
to the, the player and the product on the pitch. And then obviously um, our standing when it comes to Champions League. Although when I look at it, I look at it from um, a realistic viewpoint. Liam, I know where we are in the food chain. I know that there are limitations whilst we are playing our football in Scotland. I get it all, but I still think we can do better than we currently are doing. And when I think after the um, the 6 nothing game, the headline was something along the line of uh, going to a gunfight armed with a water pistol. It's when you start breaking down where we are even going into this game. So, you know, the, the start of this season was kind of marred by the injury crisis at, at centre-half. And, yeah. you know, we've lost staff felt, we've brought in a couple, we've then had to bring in a, a, an emergency centre-half. And, you know, the only kind of bright spark out of that, the only silver lining, I guess, is the fact that we had Liam Scales out of nowhere thrown into the team and then shown us that actually he is a first-team player. And at this moment in time, he has a first pick. So we did take something from it. It's a combination of of that guy's mental fortitude and ability, coupled with uh, the belief that Brendan Rodgers has shown in him. And I'm sure um, a lot of one-to-one that Brendan is his bread and butter, isn't it? And we find ourselves in a similar situation, but this time it's on the wing. And it's a combination, really, Liam, of injury and suspension. And it's going to be very interesting because I think the entire shape of the side could be determined by our lack of wingers or starting wingers. What do we do in that respect tonight? Uh, well, as I said yesterday on Celtic Down Under, I think we go two up front. I think we we bring O and Kyogo and start them. You know, have Kyogo playing off O and have O as the main striker. Mm-hmm. Um, we tried it for a bit at the weekend, and although the end result was not what we wanted, um, it was. I think it was productive. And it's it's I saw enough there to think let's not throw that tactical idea out the window after half an hour against Motherwell. You know that there's there's still potential there. I think for something. And like you say, it, it's do or die tonight. Uh, uh, tomorrow night, it really doesn't matter. Just just go for it. Just just, just go all out attack. Go down go down swinging. And you know what? See even if we go out and we can take something off of that rotten mob in, in Lazio, I'd be very very happy. Yes, that, this is the thing now, I think. Uh, and by the way, a reminder to everyone that tonight's kickoff is early. We've got the early kickoff tonight, so we're going to be on live. The pre-match will be on about quarter past five tonight. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the last couple of games, if you get anything in terms of European football beyond Christmas, absolutely phenomenal achievement from where we're sitting right now, Liam. However, it's about really a, you know um, putting out a, a good account of yourself in both games and ensuring that you take something from both games. Now, if you can get two wins, absolutely phenomenal. Then you're starting to look at permutations, other results. Maybe we'll have European football uh, beyond these two matches. If not, then you've got to try and build something. You know, you've got to build something from the games. You've got to look at the campaign, compare it to last season, and say we've done better than we did last time round. And uh, despite the six nil humbling, now I'm keen to hear from Celtic supporters in the comment section, Kevin Mullen. Uh, very quick off the mark. Afternoon to yourself. I can see how the game will go tonight. Lose a goal in the first five minutes, then get a man sent off and get pumped three or four nil. Prove me wrong, please, Celtic. Well, please, Celtic and Brendan Rodgers. I hope you will prove Kevin wrong. Um, but I do understand going into the game, though, because there, there is an element of not really learning from your mistakes in Europe, Liam. So I, I totally get what Kevin's saying here. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, recent form in Europe would suggest that Kevin's right on the money there, but I, I, you know, I sincerely hope he's completely wrong, but um, 
you know, it, it's it looking at the cold, hard statistics of it and setting aside the fact that we're all Celtic fans and we want the team to win. I that realistically, that is what could happen. Um, but, you know, I'm hopeful that it won't. And as I say, there's just something about Something about Lazio in particular. I really want to take something off of them. Even if we go out, if we can stop them from making the last sixteen, that would be a wee, a wee pyrrhic victory that I'll take. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm, I'm again trying to be as balanced as I can. I love uh, being a football fan, Liam. You're allowed um, to be a bit of a dreamer, of course you are. I mean, where's the fun in going into every game thinking you're going to get uh, a pumping? So I, I would love to think that we're capable of uh, winning both games. However, if we take something from both games, then, you know, I think we go away and we lick our wounds of a, a fairly disappointing campaign overall and we try to look at some of the positives that we can take from it moving into the next campaign. Jungle Lion, see the way teams in the SPFL make it hard for Celtic to break them down. Why can't Celtic do that in Europe? Now, I'm going to take the mm. point from the weekend, right? Because mm. what I've been saying all week, uh, Liam, and I mentioned it in the Wandering Paradise. By the way, I was choked with a cold yesterday and I fluffed my lines a couple of times. Um, I don't know if anybody noticed. They didn't comment on it. So we'll just run with it, right? So there was a few inaccuracies <laughs> in yesterday's <laughs> Wandering Paradise. But I was absolutely choked with the cold. Um, so that's my excuse and I'm sticking to it. But I was talking about the fact that we made it easier for Motherwell to play against us, Liam. You know, you look at the offensive qualities that we've got, and you could even yeah. say, right, in the midfields, you know, at the same time, you've got David Turnbull. We know what he can do from an offensive sense. He can score a goal out of nothing. One of the very few people within our team who can score from distance. You've got O'Reilly, who has already shown at the top level that he can play a decisive pass that's going to create space and, and give us a an opportunity to score. You've got Palma, who's been running riot recently. Yang, who's shown a bit of promise. Up top, Kyogo. And um, obviously, near the end, the end of the game, you had O up top. But I don't think we made it that difficult for Motherwell to defend. This is the issue I've got. You've got all that creativity and all that ability, Liam. Yet it was meat and drink for their centre-halves, you know. If you're going to just constantly play the ball in, and by the way, great crosses in a danger area, but, you know, there's no offensive attacking threat from Celtic if you're playing that type of ball. And I felt Motherwell could have played us all day long until we changed tact. So I think we made it pretty easy for Motherwell to play against us. Um, yeah. But the point remains, why don't we perhaps play a similar way? Or is it a case of we've shown against Atletico Madrid that when we try to defend, we simply aren't strong enough? There's not enough quality in our backline at this level. Two Two things, right? One, yes, I don't think we are good enough to defend in depth against teams like that. They will eventually tear us apart. Uh, but secondly, and I think more importantly, um, that's just not what Celtic are. You know, I I don't like to keep talking about Rangers, but back before they died, when they got to, was it 2006 or 2008, they got to the, the Europa final, they basically bored their way to that final. They scraped, mm -hmm. you know, one nils here and there, goalless draws. But, you know, Barcelona famously captioned it anti-football. And, yeah, it got them to a European final. But Celtic fans, and I don't presume to speak for everybody, but just my opinion and Celtic fans that I know, and I think you would be included in this, would not be happy with that. 
we would rather go out and play the Celtic way and lose than, you know, get absolutely pummeled and basically humiliated, but still somehow get through. Uh, I really don't think that's the the way for Celtic. And to be honest, I would again, I personally, I would rather we get knocked out of Europe every year than adopt that kind of style because it's not the kind of football I want to watch. There is a what what I think has been christened the Celtic way, and it's about entertaining football. Liam, I think Ange um, was all in on that. He wanted to play a specific mm. style, and one of the things that you know I've been a big uh, for me, I've been basically a big uh, advocate of is the fact that when Brendan Rodgers come came back to Celtic, he implemented a style that perhaps wasn't as good to watch all the time. I mean, I think there's been flashes this season where we've been brilliant to watch. But there has been moments where he has killed a game for 15, 20 minutes and, you know, not much has happened. Now, that's great when you're in control and when you're ahead. Um, But then, to then go up the gears again when, for example, Motherwell score uh, at the death is very, very difficult. So, when it comes down to defending, I would not like to see Celtic becoming a defensive unit. Um, the anti-football, I remember it well, uh, anti-football that you're discussing here. And by the way, it fares some teams pretty well. But, you know, th- there is a romanticism around it. Sometimes I think to myself, get real, let's just get the win. But when it comes to the style, I think it, there's got to be an element of both of them. You've got to have the style of, of a Aye. Celtic side. From time to time, you know, the famous example that people use is Jockstein away against Dukla Prague and we get a nothing each draw and it was one up top, Stevie Chalmers, and we defended. I think the problem now is when you, for example, um, the weekend's a typical example, right? 81% possession, very little real attacking threat by Motherwell. I think I counted three attacks. Um, a couple of them were counters. They scored a goal. And we've shown there that in three attacks against, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm using Motherwell as an example against a Champions League team, substandard. Opposition. So Motherwell compared to tonight's mm-hmm. opposition, substandard. So against Motherwell, we're attack, attack, attacking, and they get three attacks to score a goal. So I agree with you. If you're trying to defend against a team like Lazio or Atletico Madrid, you, you, we can't possibly be um, prepared for it when you're coming up against a side who are getting 11% possession against you and have got three attacks every game. And that, other than maybe one or two games or one or two opponents throughout Scotland throughout the season, that is basically the way it is with Celtic. So it's very, very difficult to then switch that and for the defence to play a completely different way and you know be under pressure for 90 minutes. Liam, I think it would be yeah. almost thrown in the towel at this stage because we don't yeah. have the defenders to do it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, as, I, as I said last night, we did our, our Celtic Under show and we were talking about this. And I actually said, look, if we're going to win against Lazio, it's going to be, we're going to need to score two or more goals because I know we're going to concede at least one. Like, in my mind, I'm already thinking we are going to lose a goal. That's just, that's going to happen. And it's sad, but that is the kind of a, I guess the kind of self-enforced pragmatism that you have to take when you're watching Celtic in Europe these days. Uh-huh. Um, and I really do, unfortunately, I think that that that's the reality is that we, under Ange particularly, we were a team that, well, they can score three, we'll score four, you know. Um, Brendan takes a slightly more, um, shall I say, consolidated approach to, to it. He, he'd be happy to get a goal in front and then try and defend it. But I don't. 
I don't think we've got the personnel to do that. I think if we get a goal, we should try and go for the second goal just to make sure. Um, you know, Mother will be in the classic example at the weekend. We did not kill that that game off despite being completely in control for 89 minutes of it. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we've come to the end of the season, and I hope it's not as tight as that. You you look back on afternoons like that, Liam, and you think we so should have won that game uh, when you look at the amount of chances we had, the fact we had two penalties, um, and you hope it doesn't come to uh, haunt you at the end of the campaign. I'm really keen, as I said, to get as many of you involved in this chat because it's a big game and it's not that far away, actually. By the time we finish at half past one, it'll be a few hours away because it's the early kickoff against Lazio tonight in the Champions League. Joseph McGonagall, thank you for getting involved in the chat on YouTube. I have a feeling we will get a result tonight. Brennan Rogers mentioned in his press conference about the need to keep 11 on the park. Now, the two games, I think, Liam, that were almost write-offs were indeed the two games where we were down to nine and ten men, respectively. Um, away yeah. to Feyenoord's very good side, solid side. You go down to nine men, you're not getting a result in the Champions League. I think the biggest surprise after that game was the fact that we kept it down to two we lose a man against Atletico Madrid. And I'm not saying that was the the difference, but it was a key moment in the game. And you were, you know, you were never coming back from it. And so it proved and, and we crumbled and we capitulated in the second half, going in two nothing at half time. Um and it, and it's unusual because I think when you look at the players, Lagerbielk, home, Maeda, they're hardly these ravenous guys who will try and break your legs. It's these are three of the most unlikely guys, Lagerbilt probably less so because of his position, to get a sending off. It's been very, very unlucky. So I, I can understand why Brennan has used that in his press conference. Uh, you get a man sent off tonight, you can just, you can forget it, Liam. We need a loving v 11 and our team needs to be right up at the top of their game tonight. Yeah, plus, we, you know, we need to be careful as well because now, obviously, the standard of refereeing is going to be better than we're used used to in Scotland, but mm-hmm. it's still an intimidating arena to go to, and we know what Lazio's fans are like, so you know, it's going to take a strong character referee not to not to take take the bait when they start throwing themselves down at every opportunity and whatever, so as I, as I said, talking about the, uh, the, the Aberdeen game the other day when I watched it, I said, look, whether that was a penalty or not, you don't. You you need to not be naive enough to give the referee a chance to give the penalty, and it's the same for us against Lazio. I'm not saying the referee's going to favour them, but he might. And in that cauldron of a stadium, I wouldn't blame him if he did. So we need to make sure not only that our players, you know, are disciplined, but also that we do not give them even the opportunity to give us a red card or give them a penalty or whatever. The thing as well, very quickly, Liam, and I don't know if we spoke about this upon the introduction of VAR, but very quickly, the uh, the management teams and the players have figured out how to manipulate the situation, which fight, it sounds bizarre uh, on the face of it, but the reactions of uh, players and management, and it was something that was mentioned by Brennan Rogers about Simone and, and his team on the sidelines, um, kind of prompts not just the ref, but the, the guys behind the scenes to check the VAR, at least if they're checking VAR, Liam, they're checking a decent enough system that can show you a graphic um, that can actually prove that you're offside or otherwise, whereas the one we're using is like an etcher sketch, and um, it's never really that conclusive. Now, we could speak all, all day, all afternoon, 
about uh, refereeing and VAR decisions and everything after yet another weekend, <laughs> Liam. But let's let's concentrate on the game at hand. Now, I like this one coming in from um, Franny Weldon from Mori. Uh, need to win by a couple of goals in the last two games. Should just go for the jugular from the kickoff. Now, yep, spot on, Franny. Well said. It. Yeah, absolutely. Because you think to yourself, right, if we get a couple of goals ahead and they pull one back, just keep going. Because it is one of those one or bust games tonight, uh, Liam. And I don't think we've got the quality to be under the cosh defensively for prolonged periods of tonight's game. So get on the front foot. Um, now, I'm going to ask the question before we move into who should play, because this is the most important part. Do we change our shape here? Because, yeah, we know we've got injuries to wingers, which may prompt us to be in a position where we have to choose between Mikey Johnson and James Forrest for one of the wings. Um, and I know a lot of fans probably aren't that keen on the idea. So do we change it to three five two? Do we bring in another centre-half? Um, and then you're playing your two inverted full-backs wide, flooding the midfield area, probably the hardest job on the park on the night, um, with the two up top. Do you go three five two? do you think, Liam? Yep. Yeah, you do. A couple of reasons why. First of all, I think Alistair Johnson in particular is very good at getting up and supporting the attack when he's on form. Um, you know, Greg Taylor can do it as well. Um, but I think Johnson is 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 the better of the two, unquestionably, in that, that, that regard. But also, particularly in Europe, we've noticed that teams specifically target our left-back position. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's Greg Taylor's fault. I think he comes in for a lot of unfair criticism. You know, the weekend being a classic example... Him and Joe Hart were the, the proverbial whipping boys for that equalising goal. But uh, how did the ball end up there in the first place? Where were our two central defenders? You know, those are questions you have to ask as well. Um, but the other thing is, if you've got a back three and you've got Scales, who is naturally left-sided, he can step out to, to shore up the gap when Taylor is pushing a bit further up and getting caught out, um, mm -hmm. as he inevitably will at some point during the game. Um, you know, so will Johnson probably at some point if we do this formation. But there's also the fact that it allows us to play with the two strikers, which is what I opened up the show by saying we should be doing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I've, I I really would love to see the three five two tonight um, because I think it gives us more attacking options. Also, if we go a goal or two up, and as much as I don't think we should, we would have the option of receding into a back five if need be. Mm -hmm. um, if we're trying to just hold out, so there is that that there's that dynamic flexibility there as well. Um, yeah, I just to, to me it's a no-brainer. Just go if you don't have two fit wingers that you're 100% confident in, and with the greatest respect to Mikey Johnson, he's just he's not had enough game time this season to to warrant being chucked into a, an away game to Lazio. Um, no, and James James Forrest, you know he he will. He will continue to come in and score important goals for us because that's what he does. But he's not a first choice anymore. So we do not have two first choice wingers. Therefore, I do not think we should play a formation that necessitates two wingers. Yeah. <clears throat> and two wingers who are going to be a vital part in any kind of forward play that we that we find ourselves um, in tonight. Because I think one of the biggest issues I had against Motherwell was they had plenty of the ball, Liam did uh, Palma and Yang. Palma obviously suspended for tonight. Mm. Plenty of the ball. Um, and Rogers has already praised both of them for coming into their own, being able to switch inside and out. 
But I just felt that the balls that were playing, the, the style of delivery did not suit Kyogo. Kyogo was an, anon- an anonymous uh, yeah. figure. You know, he was very isolated. He was anonymous, barely involved in the game. And and then what happens inevitably is that people say, oh, Kyogo's having a bad game. And you look at that and you think, well, yeah, he is because he's not in the game, but he's not doing anything wrong. It's just mm. that, you know, Palmer, brilliant. You know, he's very dynamic, cuts inside, pings a beautiful wee ball into the box. And Kyogo's not getting on to the end of that. that that's that's not his game. Um, I think if you're playing over the defence, if you're in a breakaway, you dink the ball over defence, Kyogo's brilliant on the on the shoulder of the last man. He's going to, he's going to definitely beat them for pace and his finishing ability is incredible. He's also tremendous at being part of uh, a move that goes through the, the centre uh, the you know the park, which I think both of these goals in the Champions League, although they originated on the right-hand side, it was that movement through the centre between him and Matt O'Reilly, you know, carving mm-hmm. open the defence. He's brilliant at that. And then when it comes to crosses, I think that uh, in the past, you know, hitting the, the byline and whipping in a very ferocious cross, low and hard, Kyogo loves that all day long. Yeah. But, but the way that we were delivering the balls into the box at the weekend, uh, Liam, Kyogo was never going to get on the end of one of those. And, you yeah. know, it's a bad reflection on his performance, really. Well, the the, the thing is, um, watching Kyogo at the weekend, it very much reminded me of watching him play for Japan. You, you can't fault his effort, mm-hmm. but it's just not working for him. Um, and it's because the style of play does not play to his strengths at all. Um, the way that Palma and Yang were, like you say, making good runs, getting good balls into the box. Um, you know, you've got the likes of Kubo and Junior Ito doing the same thing for the national team in Japan. Um, difference is, if Maeda or sometimes Ritsu Doan is playing up front, they're the type of guys that can get on the end of that. Kyogo isn't. Um, that's just, like you say, it's just no his style. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it's frustrating because you've got three very, very good front players there, but they just don't have the same, at the moment, they don't have the same kind of in, interactivity, interconnectivity that, you know, last season we saw with Jota, Maeda, Kyogo, Abada, right? You've got Kyogo and you've got any two of the other three and you know they're going to work well together because they've got that dynamic going. Yang and Palmer have not got that with Kyogo yet. Um, it's going to take a bit of adjustment. You know, two, it's two young guys, two guys who are still very new to to Scottish football and to Celtic. Give it time. Europe's come too early for us this year, unfortunately. But I think, you know, let's look at that situation again three months from now. And I think you'll find that they are developing a partnership or a sort of a triumvirate rather very similar to what we had last year with with Maeda and Jota and Kyogo. Yeah, you know, your point there about it coming too early, I get that because <clears throat> we keep saying, obviously, we've lost Jota and Starfield at the beginning of the season. We also lost Ange. I think that's the biggest yeah. key element, and, and Moy, of course. But it was all about, you know, a new manager coming in, reassessing the squad, changing the style of play for a spell, not really favouring the inverted fullbacks. You know, saying to Joe Hart, I don't want the ball at your feet. There was lots of changes happening. And in between all that, the Champions League draw happens. And before you know it, you're in and you're playing your first game. So, yeah, I, I do think, you know, although we lost one winger and brought in three, we lost one midfielder, brought in two, and we lost a centre-half and brought in three, 
you know, until recently, you, you didn't really know, and in some areas you still don't, who are the best of the three, the two and the three. But so the, the wingers that were brought in, Palma has shone. There's no doubt yeah. about it. Um, Tilio, we got a glimpse of him, and it was just a glimpse against Motherwell. And I think Yang has been a mixed bag so far, but it's early days for him. He's shown some good potential. The two midfield players, one of whom obviously is on loan, there's a big question mark tonight as to who's going to be playing in the middle, and it's something we're going to discuss. Mm. Bernardo, again, a wee bit like Yang, you've seen in flashes that there's something there. Uh, and home, definitely one for the future. I think that there's an inconsistency at that age with many players, Liam, that, that home's shown. You know, if you go back to the Kilmarnock game in the cup, he gets a start, doesn't play great. Plays yeah. against Aberdeen, does really well. He plays against Mullerwell, doesn't do great. And that's the inconsistency that I think you've just got to take that inconsistency with the fact that he's a 20-year-old trying to break into this side. Um, and then at the back, of course, all the defenders were bought and none of them are playing because <laughs> Liam Scales, like uh, the resurrection man, has come out of nowhere. So if we're playing three at the back, we'll just take it right back to this then. We're playing three at the mm-hmm. back. Uh, Liam, it's a bit of a no-brainer that Nat Phillips steps in simply because he's the guy that's been on the bench. But what does yep, that say? And he's he's also the one that has the European experience. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. definitely. And I think yeah. one of the big reasons we brought him in that was that was quoted time and time again. He's got Champions League experience uh, for Liverpool, albeit I think it was against. Rangers or something like that. He's got the Champions League experience. Um, does that even you know, count? <laughs> does it count exactly <laughs> for Liverpool? Um, but I think the, the biggest frustration for me is not that Nat Phillips hasn't been playing. He's come in, mm-hmm. and you know he might have had a dozen games under his belt, but Scales has been so good that he's undroppable. It's more to do with the fact that Lagerbjelk and Navroski's dropped off the face of the earth. I know that the big pole mm-hmm. wouldn't be playing tonight. He's not in the squad. I get it, but they're not right. even in the squad recently. Liam, and that for me, that's seven and a half million quid. I mean, is that something yeah. we revisit after January once maybe Nat Phillips goes back to Anfield? Aye, I think Navroski will come into the team in the fullness of time. Um, I mean, Nat Phillips, what, what are we doing signing a guy who played played against Rangers for Liverpool in Champions League and didn't score? He's obviously a diddy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite a high scoring game, if I remember correctly. They were selling canvases or something of it in the shop. Brilliant. I mean, yeah, we 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 talk about Celtic's board's inability to read the room, but that just takes the cake. That was that was the ultimate inability to read the room. That that whole thing with the prince. Oh God. Um, seven yeah, nothing. Let's anyway. celebrate a seven nothing pumping in Europe. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so no question, Phillips comes back in, and, and I'm guessing Lagerbier will get a, a seat on the bench um, to make Aye. up the numbers, uh, unless Stephen Welsh obviously comes back into the squad mm. tonight, Liam. But um, if we do get a start for, for Phillips, it would be worthwhile seeing what we've got there because there's not a great deal of time to observe and monitor and and, and judge Nat Phillips before coming to a decision. Or has a decision already been made, do you think? I, I, I think he's off in January because even if he was playing well, um, the, the, the money Liverpool are going to be asking for him, we could get better for cheaper. Um, you know, if if he was playing well and it was like Carter Vickers level money, if it was like four, four, five, six million, you know, you'd say, okay, well, fine, aye, we'll do that. But it's th- th- there's talk of like nine or ten million. You know, Celtic would have to basically break their their transfer record. And I'm sorry, with the greatest respect, and we don't, we're not doing that for a Liverpool reserve. I'm, I'm no, you know, that that's not. 
that might be how the English Premier League operates. Okay, I'm sure he'll go to a you know a Southampton or a Nottingham Forest and be very successful because he's a good player. But nah, we we don't we don't buy other teams' cast-offs, especially not for club record fees. Um, not that age, so, Liam, when you no. consider how little football he's played. Yeah, you know he's not Aye. had a massive amount of minutes as a senior pro. He's 26 years of age. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm absolutely. Uh, on your bus when it comes to that. But at the same time tonight, if you're going to ask me who else plays at centre-half in a back three, then it's going to be Nat Phillips. And I think Welsh or Lagerbjelk, um, maybe even both of them, will be on the bench tonight. There's no real question about the inverted fullbacks making up the middle five, is there really? I mean, Taylor, there's no other option, let's be honest. But um, mm. Ralston came in against Motherwell, and that was more to do with the travel that Johnson had suffered in the international break. He'll be right back in. What do you make of Johnson this season? Do you think he's been as effective as, as last time round? Has he looked a little bit nullified? Um, or is that just him settling into um, you know, what his normal performance level is, having probably came in with quite a bit of momentum after his introduction to the Celtic side? I mean... The thing is, the whole defence was unsettled for the first four or five games because there was that whole thing about we're not doing inverted fullbacks. Uh, all right, we'll go back to doing inverted fullbacks, you know. And there's been a period of adjustment and then readjustment. I really don't. Uh, there's a lot of people saying, "Oh, Johnson's been terrible this season." Whatever. I, I don't see it. Has he played to the same level as last season? No, but. I would never say he's been like the worst player on the park when he's played. You know, he's been, a, even when he's not had a good game, he's still a good like, sort of six or seven out of 10 for me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think he's perfectly reliable and dependable. And I think he will get better because we've seen what he can do before. And injury free, getting over the fatigue and whatever, he'll, yeah, he'll be fine um, think, in the full right. time. I think yeah. you're right. And there's a character about him that I think uh, you know Celtic fans warm to him pretty early doors because he is a battler. Um, he loves a head-to-head and all this kind of stuff. There's been maybe some occasions in Europe where he's fallen short a wee bit. Um, I think James McKenzie said in Europe for the first time ever he looked out of, out of his depth. I but we all did uh, in that particular yeah. night against Atletico Madrid. So uh, Patrick... You're in, Patrick Murphy. Get your thoughts in on the comment section if you're watching um, anywhere, actually, YouTube or Twitter or Twitch um, or even LinkedIn. Yes, we stream on LinkedIn as well, and we do have people tuning in over there. So let us know your comments. Patrick is watching on YouTube. There was a time when I'd be excited about Celtic Champions League nights, but now not so much, such as the result of unmanaged decline. We on Axon may not be, but too many fans content with domestic dominance. Now, it's a conversation, Liam, that we've had quite a bit this season because I think in the uh, period of time that we have been broadcasting, Axrom um, started in 2017. Uh, we will be celebrating our seventh birthday in June next year. And obviously, we've been streaming live on the YouTube channels and elsewhere for the best part of three and a half years, and maybe about four, actually. Yeah, four years come maybe the beginning of next year. And um, there, there is a cross-section. There's a cross-section of fans who have almost written Europe off. And I can understand why. I think there was a lot of international fans in Scotland who did the same with uh, the national team, Liam, because if you go for a period of time, there's going to be a generation of fans where that kind of ambition probably didn't exist because of the fact that they've never seen a winning team in Europe. 
And then you maybe got kind of older generation um, who have accepted that the changes in the modern game are such uh, that we just can't compete anymore. So, yeah, I get it. There's loads of fans who think, you know, Europe's Europe. Let's concentrate on the bread and butter of Scottish football. Um, where do you sit? I think I make my, my view pretty clear on this. I, I think we should be ambitious in Europe, not to the point where we put ourselves under any kind of financial constraints, but th- there's a, a, a huge scale between where we are financially and putting ourselves under financial stress. We're nowhere near that. We, we, we need to find a middle ground somewhere, Liam. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely ways we can bring more money in, um, you know, because we we're, we're never going to have a good TV deal. But then again, neither does Shakhtar Donetsk, neither does Ajax, neither does Bruges or uh, Ghent or teams like that. But they still manage to get to the Champions League every year and make a fight of it. Um, so I don't buy this. Um, we play in a wee league, so we have to accept being a wee team in Europe. Uh, I don't buy that at all. Um, as I pointed out before, Celtic's big issue is we rely too much on match day revenue. Um, we should be, you know, the, the the elite clubs in Europe just now, financial doping notwithstanding, right? You know, that's obviously an issue as well. But you're looking at a figure of somewhere between 5 to 15% of their revenue is match day revenue. Mm-hmm. Celtic, it's still over 50%. And that's, that's just not, that's... Our marketing team should be sacked en masse for that, honestly. The brand that we have, the reach that we have, especially with the amount of players that we've got now, the, you know, I don't mean to be cynical, but the amount of international coverage that Celtic have been getting recently because of certain fans' outspoken political views, um, you know, we, we should have tops on sale all, all over the Arab region right now, but we don't. <laughs> um because, you know, plenty of people would buy them. There's clearly a lot of affection for Celtic in that part of the world because of our, our fans' perceived views on Palestine. Um, and, you know, it's unlike the Celtic board to be not be so quick to market something like that. You'd think they'd be on it like a shot, you know. Um, rather than kick the Green Brigade out, I thought they would have had a Palestinian away kit out by now, you know. <laughs> but, well, you're right, they've gone yeah. the exact opposite way. They've gone the exact Aye. opposite way with the Green Brigade. And again, by the way, big shout out to every single Celtic fan who is in Rome at the moment. Anyone who has travelled mm. over there. I'm always jealous, Liam, when I look at the my Aye. social media and, and um, jealous. And also, you know, I'm, I'm looking at them thinking to myself, the, the effort and the financial element that goes into it as well. And the amount of uh, uh, brownie points you need with your missus or your, your, your fella to jump on that boat and train and automobile, whatever it is, and you get over there and it's a, a couple of days of uh, carnage uh, and chaos and watching the football and everything else that goes with it. I've seen a few people in there uh, visiting the Vatican and Jim Craig's kicking about there and all that. I love it. It's phenomenal. And the effort that goes in is incredible. But there's a backdrop at the moment, Liam, isn't there? There's a backdrop of um, conflict between... Celtic as a, a football club and the board and the fans as in the Green Brigade and the fact that they're, they're shut out at the moment. No yeah. resolution. I mean, we're talking about Champions League. Let, let's say we win tonight. Let's say yeah. we win 2-0, right? Uh, Jerry Taylor, Mr. Positivity on a Monday, he says we're going to win 3 nothing. Let's say we get the 2 nothing win, right? Mm. And we have a defensive masterclass with the three at the back and everybody's top of their game they get a man sent off after five minutes and we capitalise on it, right? Let's be positive. 
going into that game against Feyenoord, you are going to need every minuscule margin to go your way. You need every advantage you can get at that point. And that yeah. includes the Green Brigade. That includes a massive part of that includes the fans, the atmosphere, the momentum they can give you, the positive energy they can give you. Yet we're no closer to a resolution, Liam. It's sad, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it is. It is. And something that's been lost in all this, whether you agree with their politics or not, the Green Brigade do a phenomenal amount of charity work. Yeah. And that it's, you know, I assume if they're not going to be able to be at Celtic Park, then you're not going to have the charity collections. You're not going to have the charity food drive this year. I'm sure they'll find some other way to get it done because that's the sort of people they are. And they wouldn't let a disagreement with the club get in the way of their, their charitable efforts. But it's really sad that they're going to have to find some kind of alternative way to do it because really, you know, that to me is as impressive as any TIFO they've ever made. You know, the amount of help that. That, that they that they give to, to the most needy at a time of year when, as I've mentioned before, people feel the most, where poverty hurts you the most is at Christmas time when you've got to tell a Wayne, sorry, you can't have that new PlayStation because I can't I can't afford to put dinner on the table tomorrow night, you know. Um, but anyway, I'm getting off topic. Um, go back to this whole thing. The one big counter to my argument about how we should be spreading our wings and putting more money into building an international base outside of match day. The common refrain is, and I'm just going to say it. People say, "Oh, do you want to end up like Rangers?" Right. You know, do you want to spend money we don't have? Do you want to end up going bankrupt or whatever? Do you want, do you want the club to die? You know, I was like, well, a couple of things there. One, that will never happen because simply we have always generated more money than Rangers have. Always, right? We've had a bigger fan base. We have a bigger international marketability. We do not have the, although, although, We've got a lot of people in the press having a go at us right now because of some of the fans' politics. Um, we do not have the same toxicity to our brand that they do, which precludes them from getting companies like Adidas on board with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, kind of ironic considering that <laughs> Adidas was a former Nazi. But anyway, um, I digress. Uh, the, um, the, 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 other, the other thing is that, um, and, you know, this is going to sound conspiracy theorist, whatever, but the factual reality is that Celtic uh, being what they are and the Scottish, shall we say, hierarchy of particularly the financial sector being what it is, Celtic would never be allowed to get into the position the old Rangers got into because we would never be given the credit line that David Murray was. And people wouldn't be turning a blind eye to all the other shenanigans when it came to the administrative yeah. side of it when it comes to we Scottish c- football. We could not dodgy handshake, knuckle tickle our way out of it like they did for as long as they did. So that's that you know, that's the other issue. we we will not we're not stupid enough to get in that position, but we wouldn't be allowed to get into that position anyway. Well, so I love, uh, to me, Liam, that whole uh, argument is a non-starter yeah. and, it, and it's a cheap excuse. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even when we... Um, sorry. We had a, no, sorry, mate. We, we had uh, Willie Hockey, obviously, on as a special guest um, at the beginning of October. And we were talking about the St. Rocks game. But we, we touched on that that grim period in the 1990s 
Uh, obviously, almost a fairy tale like the, the eight minutes rush to to pay the money and save the club and everything. And Willie can, you know, to this day states that Celtic were never going bust. It wasn't mm. going to happen. Yeah, the man saved the club. I'm talking about Fergus. He saved the club. He said there were other people, you know, interested in, in stepping in if necessary. There was there was plenty of people who were going to step in. And I think that you know when. The uh, the point was raised last week. You were off last week about this this belief. You know, it's it's like for me, I'm not going to say it's it's culture. It's part of the culture of the Celtic boardroom that that's almost a default setting, Liam. You know, we've mm. got to watch what we do. Look what happened to them across there. And I, I do think it holds you back to a degree. Uh, Liam, and, uh, sorry, Lawrence and I had a, a slight disagreement on that because I think initially there was this incredible, you know, dream that David Murray had, uh, you know, winning the European Cup because he believed that we're going to do everything that, that Celtic have done and more. We're going to win the European Cup and they're chasing it. And they're chasing it for season upon season upon season. What that uh, turned into was, you know, spending money they didn't have. They didn't have it. They'll find a way to get it. Um, they can't afford that player. All right, we'll, we'll have a side letter to allow us to do it and, and not pay the tax, et cetera, et cetera. So all fed into this, this chasing the dream, if you like, of trying to get that star above their crest. Um, and they never, ever did. And they never will. And no. But within the Celtic boardroom, I think there is definitely an overcautious aspect because of that, Liam, because of what actually happened, what the result of uh, the old Rangers wars, I think, holds back the current Celtic board. And I think it does actually still exist in the boardroom as we speak. Mm-hmm. I think it goes beyond just the financial as well. I think that, you know, going back to what I said before, we should be, in terms of how we do internationally and also how we do commercially, domestically, et cetera, et cetera, we should be pegging ourselves alongside the likes of Shakhtar Donetsk, um, Ghent, uh, Ajax, these big clubs in in, in monetary terms, small European leagues, right? The problem is, and, and you know, we, our supporter base is as guilty, is guilty of this too, is we put too much stock in what we do to Rangers or yeah. whatever club is calling itself Rangers at the moment. Um, we, we're not, we need to stop looking at them as our biggest rival. I know that historically they were our biggest rival. I know there's the cultural thing. And I know it's easy for me to say that because I don't have to walk into an office full of blue noses if we've been pumped, right? I, I, I know that, right? But really, we are never going to escape this cycle until we stop assessing ourselves by their extremely yeah. low standards. Where's your benchmark, Liam? You're right. Where's yeah. your benchmark? You want this to be a benchmark forevermore? And and there's another thing, by the way, going back to the boardroom mentality. It's more of a mentality than a culture. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. The, the mentality of the board there, it's um, it's always almost like a get out. Oh, but we've got all this money, but didn't complain. Don't complain. You know what happens if you don't manage your finances properly. And it's always a get out, and it's almost like a default setting. So I know we've, we've kind of transgressed a wee bit from the, the point. However, it is relevant when talking about European football and our standing in the European game. Um would three starters, established players who could affect positively the first team starting lineup have improved our European performance this campaign? 
Arguably not when you look at the sendings off. You know, the games might have still been lost with the sendings off. I get it, right? But over a, a period of three or four transfer windows, if you are improving your side by two or three starters, Liam, then you get to that point. And the cycle's a lot. I think there's been an issue with the, the cycle of players, um, and I speak about this a lot as well. That cycle that was Matt O'Reilly, um, Leela Bada, uh, Kyogo, you know, Hatati, that kind of cycle, where they've all come to fruition and what they're now established players. What you're looking for is the guys that should have been signed behind them who are coming to that that position. And we don't have that that wave of players after it. So the cycle has to continue transfer window upon transfer window so that if your Jot and Starfield leaves, you've got another two that you signed, a, a transfer window or two after them who are now at that level to step in. And I think that the last three transfer windows are questionable. And that's where we are now. And that's why, if yeah. it wasn't actually for Brennan Rodgers being at the helm, Liam, it could be worse. Because I think he's maximising quite a few of the guys that he's that he's utilising. Aye. And there's also the fact that Brendan Rodgers would not accept um, English teams coming and poaching our players for cheap, um, which I think is something we accepted too readily in the past. You know, Virgil van Dijk, right, he went to Southampton before he went to Liverpool. Mm-hmm. I still maintain we should have held on to him until a Liverpool or a Man United came in for him because he was good. He was clearly good enough. And we should have said, well, you know what? Give us the 70 million. Um, we're not going to have this middleman where they go to some mediocre English team first. That that needs to stop. And in a wider context, actually, sorry, I'm going slightly off here, but Scottish football in general, right? As I said before, Celtic need to stop comparing us ourselves to Rangers in terms of assessing how we achieve things, right? Scottish football needs to stop comparing itself to England, right? England is the most monetized league in the world, right? As much as I don't like to admit it, they've got one of the best international teams in the world at the moment, right? They, 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 you know, they're, they're, they're probably a top five team in the world, if we're being honest, right? They have 10 times the population Scotland does, right? Again, apart from history, there is no metric by which we even come close to them. It's ridiculous. We should be comparing ourselves to countries like Holland, Belgium, uh, Portugal, you know, smaller, similarly sized European nations to Scotland that punch well above their weight because they've got a proper system in place. Yeah. I mean, right, just just to kind of give you an example, right? I played five asides with the kids after school tonight. Um, like the, the kids' football team. Congratulations, by the way, Hanyu Junior High School are now in the top four in all of Nagano Prefecture. So well done, boys. Um, but um the interesting point to note was that we we had a two hour training session tonight. We only actually played football for about the last forty minutes. Right. It was all drills. It was all practice. It was all routines and just hammering. And I mean, these are like boys from age from 12 to 16. And it's just hammering into them. This is how you play football. This is what you do. One of the teachers mentioned something to me about, like, they were doing this passing back and forth, like pass, run, pass, run, pass, run, pass, run. And he said, yeah, the GFA have this standard, like the professional level standard that we are not at, but we want to aspire to, um, where basically the entire team should recycle the ball within eight seconds. We managed to do it within 12 last night, which for a junior high school team is not bad, right? But, you know, eight recycling the ball amongst the entire team within eight seconds. 
Now, that requires a lot of one-touch football, requires a lot of quick thinking, picking out the right pass. But th those boys will get there. Mm -hmm. And can we honestly say that there's any team in Scot in the Scottish Premier League that could do that? <laughs> I mean, probably not. It's it's just what? a completely different approach to playing the game, and it's a modernised way of playing the game that Scotland has just never got on board with. It's a worry. It really is. I always go back um, to the '98 World Cup. Obviously, mm. Scotland were in it, and um, after that, they were cash rich. Liam, Scotland were cash yep. rich. It was actually I was doing a, an interview with Jock Brown. Um, around his time at Celtic. It was never aired due to the fact that I was using a really rubbish dictaphone. And it's always been my intention to transcribe the interview. There's some real nuggets in there. And he was telling me, obviously, his brother was a manager of the national team at the time and they had all this money. Um, and it was because the prize money for World Cup participation is massive. And there was loads of funding as well in and around that. And instead of investing it in the grassroots, like what you're talking about there, um, they invested it up at Hamden Park and, and they obviously regenerated Hamden, which is one of the worst big stadiums in Scotland, if you ask me. You know, I used to have my season ticket 94 behind the goals and it's not got any better since then. And, you know, it was terrible. The atmosphere's terrible. Um, as a national stadium, it's not fit for purpose, in my opinion. But Horrific the, acoustics for music concerts terrible. as well. I know, it's, yeah. got no, it's nothing going for it. It really has nothing going for it. Yeah. But what they could have done at that time, this was a, this was a thing. They could have invested it. And um, what Craig Brown wanted to do in, in his wisdom at the time, he wanted to pump it into the grassroots, Liam, and he wanted there to be facilities that were free to use for kids all over. Every region would have facilities that could be yeah. used all year round as well. It wasn't done back then. And you fast forward to now, and it's still not right. We've, we've pumped all our focus and attention on academy football, whereby, you know, the, the same amount of good footballers still exist, but they all go into academies, and so many of them are lost to the game. And at a young age, if they're rejected, Liam, um, what does it do to their state of mind? What does it do to their confidence? They think I'm no longer going to be a footballer, rather than maybe coming into it a wee bit later on and, and then having that belief. So... It's broken at the moment. It definitely is broken. And uh, Celtic, being part of it and being within Scottish football, have to deal with a lot of things that hold us back and, and draw our game back, Liam. And I totally take that into consideration when I'm talking about aspirations. I absolutely do. Well, the thing is, if, you know, I, I've, I've said before that it's not Celtic or Rangers' job to get Scotland to a World Cup, right? You know, it, it, they can criticise us and them for our youth development or lack thereof, but that's not our problem, right? That is a national institutional problem. Um, but going the other way, when the Scottish national team are doing well, Scottish teams tend to do better in Europe. <laughs> you know, if you look historically, that's the case. We were consistently qualifying for World Cups throughout the, the late 70s and 80s. And that was when you had not just... Celtic and Rangers, but you had Aberdeen winning a European trophy. You had Dundee United getting to a European final. This is, you know, that's utter fantasy land stuff now. But, you know, we're only 35 years ago talking about this. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it, we've just gone so far off the rails. And it's interesting you mentioned 1998, because going back to what I said a minute ago, that was our last World Cup and it was Japan's first. And they've been at every World Cup since. Maybe, just maybe, we should be looking at what they're doing. 
listen, I think it's a good starting point because, as you say, there's a regression and there's obviously um, a nation who are willing to build their development from grassroots. AR, no, we're not still talking about Mikey Johnson. Um, I think he will be. <laughs> you might be in the comments. He'll probably be on the bench tonight, though, I've got to say. I don't think he'll start. Mm. Uh, we've got right up to the midfield and we're going to finish our predicted 11, uh, Liam and I, which is a different shape than we're used to as well. Joe Henry was on a flight yesterday with some Celtic fans on their way to Rome. Uh, they were hysterically funny and great entertainment for everybody on the flight. Brilliant Excellent. to hear, Joe. Uh, Chill Pill, how are we going to beat Lazio away from home without half of the first team missing when we can't do it at full strength? To be fair, I think that game at Celtic Park, Liam, there's two moments. There's Palmer's goal and there's Carter Vickers making an error, which you would not have expected. Two yeah. moments. And, and I know we keep using that word margin, but these and, are the, um, the fine margins of that game. I would I would also say our greatest European result in recent history, uh, we beat Barcelona. Um, we played Miku up front that night, so we, we weren't exactly at full strength, were we? Who, who was the centre defensive partnership that night off the top of your head? It was Kelvin Wilson. Yeah. And he was partnered with, was it Effie Ambrose? I think, yeah, I think it was, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right, Kelvin Wilson definitely played. I'm not going to check the Celtic wiki, that's too easy. Let us know who partnered um, Wilson, but Miku played up top, you're right. And we had, yeah. we were missing that night, we were missing Gary Hooper, we were missing Scott mm. Brown. Um, I think yeah. there was another player, uh, a first pick, missing in the, in the Celtic side, and we've gone out and beaten them. It was uh, something else. He's looked across the bench, and there's Tony Watt, 18-year-old, skinny laddie. <laughs> He puts him on and he scores what became the winner. Phenomenal. And yeah. um, Peter King, uh, we need to counter-attack tonight and keep the clean sheet. Right, I'm going to ask you, Liam, if we're playing this 3-5-2, and I yeah. think there's a good chance we will, who's your three midfielders? I think um, O'Reilly and McGregor's certainties to start. Yes. Who do you play as a third midfielder? Okay, controversial, uh, controversial statement time. I put Iwata in as the third midfielder and allow McGregor to go further forward. I have Iwata sitting, sitting in behind. I know Turnbull is on form, the one who should be starting at the moment, and I feel sorry for him because he's 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 barely put a foot wrong when he came in. Um, but I just feel that if we're going to have the... Carl McGregor's not being fully utilised at the moment. And I think having a more defensive player sitting in behind him allows him to do what he does best, which is getting up and supporting the attack. You look at how he does it for Scotland. Scott McTominay allows him to do that for Scotland. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Iwata, I think, could perform a similar function. Listen, you know I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of Iwata, and I know that you, having watched him over in Japan, were uh, fully praised for him when he came over. And I think there's been an expectancy that Iwata would establish himself in the Celtic side, and it's not happened yet. I think he was a wee bit, um, for me, un, you know, unfairly criticised because he was being played out of position uh, quite a bit last season and in the pre-season uh, when Brendan took over. But when I see him in, in that central defensive uh, sorry, midfield, the, the, the defensive midfield area. I think he looks a player. Um, and on a night like tonight, yeah, I, I can see him giving you that kind of protection uh, to allow. And I've, and I've raised this before, Liam, and um, <clears throat> those who are in stats will tell me that Callum McGregor no longer has the legs to be a, an attacking force. That's what I get told. Um, he'll no create, he'll no score. 
But I think your counterpoint that <clears throat> he does play a more advanced role for Scotland is a good point, and I'd like to see it. Um, do I think that Brendan will will utilise Awata uh, this evening? Excuse me. As I say, I've got a terrible cold at the moment, but we will battle through it uh, for the final five minutes. Do I think Brendan will do it? I'd be surprised if Awata did play, and if he doesn't, I think he'll go for... I said yesterday Bernardo. I'm going to go against it now. <laughs> I said Bernardo yeah. based on the fact that he had, he had played in two Champions League games already. Um, and I think he might actually put Turnbull in because of the fact that we're flooding the midfield and you might get away with having that offensive, that extra offensive player in there. And of course, up top with, with Kyogo and O. Um, I just think Kyogo, you see more of him, he gets on the ball more often when he's not that that focal point up top and he can drop a wee bit deeper, get involved in the game, make things happen, Liam. So Aye. the only thing well, that Lats- I think... Lazio have done their homework on the assumption that Kyogo's going to be up front on his own. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's the give, other give thing. Them a it, it, yep, throws a spanner in the works because they will not know how to handle O because it, it'll be completely different to what they were expecting in Kyogo. Yeah, so there's only one difference between what Liam Carrigan thinks will be the starting lineup against my own prediction and that's in that third midfield position where Liam reckons it'll be a water. I'm going to go for Turnbull. I've changed my mind from yesterday when I said Bernardo. I'm going to go for Turnbull now. Uh, what do you think? Let us know in the in the comment section. You might have something completely different in mind for the start loving. And all that's left for me to ask you, Liam, is a prediction for tonight. We know what we need to do. Can we do it? I would just just before I say that, I would just clarify one thing. Um, I agree with you that I think Turnbull will play. What I would like to see, what I believe should be, is Iwata in instead of Turnbull. But I think you're right. I think it's going to be Turnbull, uh, O'Reilly and McGregor in that midfield. Um, I think, like I said before, we're going to have to score at least a couple of goals to win this game. And I think we will. I'm going to go for a 3-2 to Celtic. Phenomenal game. We will be... Live half an hour before kickoff, uh, where I might tell you my prediction. Then I do feel pretty positive. This Preferably evening. a last-minute winner right in front of the Lazio ultras. That would just oh, that would be good. <laughs> that would be good. Yeah. And who's going to score? Who's going to score? Kyogo for everybody that's writing Kyogo off. We get a wee goal oh. for the wee man. Um, thank you everybody for getting involved. Uh, plenty of comments coming through in the comment section today. If you haven't done so already, get yourself subscribed to the channel. Pigeon M, just while you were talking, confirmed it. It was Ambrose that played that night and we beat Barcelona, who were largely uh, viewed as being the best uh, club side in the world at that time. What a memorable night. Can we have another memorable night in Europe tonight? Uh, We will see you very, very soon. All that's left for me to say, Liam Carrigan, thank you again for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. Podcast Network.